Hello, everybody. Welcome to tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. And we're kind of between the boardroom and the locker room. I suppose when you get two cricket commentators together, um, it could be a very interesting half an hour. And I'm very happy to welcome somebody I've known for an awful long time, haven't seen for an awful long time, Brett Proctor. Brett, welcome. Thank you for your time. It's my pleasure, Lou. It's great to be talking to you once again. We hear you a lot on the television, and I must be honest with you, a lot more recently, and I'm delighted about that because I really enjoy listening to you. But uh, let's talk cricket, obviously, and that's what we all love the most. Um, South African cricket right now, let's start with, I guess, a bouncer. Your thoughts on South African cricket at the moment? Yeah, it's 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 fallen a bit off the heights of when Graham Smith was captain and we reached number one in the world. But our, our national side is, is competitive without being favourites in any sort of field, whether it be for a test championship or a, or a one-day cup or a World Cup. But, uh, you know, I just feel a little bit for the game and that, you know, I, I spend most of my time watching domestic cricket. And, you know, it, I think it's undeniable the standard of domestic cricket has, 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 has dropped off in the, in the last couple of years. So what happens is your gap between domestic players who are making lots of runs or taking lots of wickets, when they get up to the national side, they find that that gap is huge and that they've, they've ever really got to cut their teeth quite quickly in order to start performing at the highest level. And we, and we see that from our players that, that step up out of domestic cricket into the international game, that it takes them a while. They don't actually just come in and start churning runs out or taking wickets straight away. That's a rarity these days. And I think that's because of the gap between domestic and, and international cricket is, is, is getting larger and larger by the, by the season. I've been very critical on this podcast uh, quite often with regards to the state of South African cricket, and I'm not scared to back up what I say. And I think a lot of it goes back to the 80s and the 90s when cricket was ball by ball on the radio, four-day matches were played regularly, crowds came out to watch the matches. But so much has changed. Television, in a way, has taken over. T20 cricket and white ball cricket, I hate using the word white ball and red ball cricket, <laughs> has taken over. Um, when you and I were, let's call it in our prime, if you like, 20, yeah. 30 years ago, we had heroes, we had stars, we had people that spectators wanted to come out and watch. We don't really have that. You know... Louis, yes. The short answer to that question is right. I mean, it's not so long ago that we did. You know, if you went, I want to watch a Hashim Amla, I want to watch an A.B. de Villiers, I want to watch a Dale Stain Bowl. Yeah. you still got a K.G. Rabadi, you still got an Aidan Markram, perhaps not quite as bigger names as the one I've mentioned, but they're still heroes enough for the youth who follow cricket and who aspire to play cricket in their time, when their time comes. Where I feel sometimes we miss the boat a little bit is, as you were talking, when, when you and I were commentating on radio, um, there were crowds at games, whether they were, were limited over games or, or four-day games. And you, and a four-day game finishing on a Monday, you'd have a good six 7,000 people going into Supersport Park or Kingsmead or Wanderers or whatever okay, to see the end of the game. And I'll give you an example. The other day, I was leaving home, and my younger son said, where are you going? I said, I'm off to do a one-day cup game at Kingsmead, son. He said, I didn't even know it was on. I think that's a problem. I, I think CSA has a responsibility, maybe short of funds, but they have a responsibility to promote the domestic game so that people know it's around and they've got a product that they can go and watch and see the stars of tomorrow flying their trade in a domestic level and say, okay, that kid might actually wind up being a protea. But really, I don't know whether CSA leave it to just the, the local franchises to market the game and promote the game and say, we've got this game on, come and watch it. I think most of the time it's free entry these days. The particular game of which I speak was a game with the, the, the Dolphins and, and the Dragons. And if there were 500 people in a day-night game in the ground, it was a lot. And that's that 
hurts me in the sense that we seem to think that domestic cricket is, I'm going to use the word guardedly, irrelevant. You know, it's, let's focus on the international. But if you don't have good domestic structures and good domestic cricket, how do you expect it to equate to good international structures and national cricketers in the years that follow? You mentioned the likes of Umla and Stain, et cetera, et cetera. And mm-hmm. we can even go further back, the likes of, of Hansi and, and Alan Donald and John T. Rhodes. They played provincial cricket and they played for the Proteus. Now, what irks me is these guys go out, they play in IPLs around the world, and then they come back and then Cricket South Africa say, oh, we're going to rest them for the series. I mean, I guess that most of these guys now have played more international cricket than they've played domestic cricket. I was delighted the other day to see Dean Elgar out there playing in a one-day game, getting a 100, showing that it doesn't matter what form of the game you play, and if you can play, you can play. But you can't expect guys and fathers and their kids to go and watch provincial cricket when the stars are missing. You're spot on, and, and hence SA20, where they, they've said to the contracted national players, it's a, it's, a, it's a competition that's South Africa's flagship. You will play it unless you no longer contract it. You, you, you can't play it. But you're spot on in, in what you say. And, and, and to a degree, you've answered your own question because our national players who are in demand in the T20 leagues around the world, whether it's the Caribbean Premier League, the RPL, Big Bash, um, Sri Lankan League, they all play in those leagues. And so when they have to come back and play in the local domestic league, like a, just a four-day cricket or the one-day cup, which you mentioned Dean played and which was great to see him play, but they go, oh, I need a rest. If I want to be at my best for the national side, I don't know. I think, you know, Cricket South Africa give what NOC is to allow these players to go and play in the, in the, in the major leagues. And I understand why, because if they don't, those players might go, well, I'll retire and just play in those major leagues. But the money that's offered there is, is the carrot that for all players, you know, I won't say initially aspire to it, but gee, how can you turn down that kind of money for a, for two weeks, three weeks work at some stages? And then when you come back and you're worn out, you do need to take a break. And so it's the South African domestic cricket that suffers. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to continue knocking Cricket South Africa because I think mm. at the end of the day, um, we've, got to lay, yeah, we've got to lay a lot of the blame mm. on the, the Indians along with England who seem to have, and Australia to a lesser extent, particularly mm. India, who seem to be ruling the roost, don't they? Well, they've got the public, they've got the demand, they've got the money, I mean, and that's always going to control proceedings. I mean, a tour of India or by India is always going to bring in so much television revenue, gate revenue if it's over in India. It's a religion over there, whereas, you know, other than perhaps the ashes, there isn't a series outside of anyone that involves India that captures the imagination of the cricketing world. Am I being harsh when I make the following comment, Brett, that... 10, 15 years ago, um, we were in demand because we had players like A.B. de Villiers and Graham Smith, who were charismatic, who actually brought the Protea game to a different level. I'm not knocking the Protea team that we have now. They are consistent. They are a good team, but they're no great players. I mean, I will go and watch Ben Stokes play, irrespective of what format he plays in, who he's playing for, because I'm attracted to the player, not necessarily the country. Is that a fair assessment of South Africa? That's fair. I mean, you can even go back to Pollock Klusner, that sort of vintage. I mean, Lance yeah. Klusner still to this day has got such a following in India because of his performances in that 99 World Cup where he would be, was man of the tournament and almost single-handedly took South Africa through to the, the final. And you say, 
I mean, people wanted to watch Jacques Callas bat, wanted to watch A.B. de Villiers bat. We haven't got those superstars now. You might ask why. I would venture that the system perhaps lends itself to that. But I think you get these once-in-a-generation teams, and ours was was that team, you know, where it, it had de Villiers, Amla, Smith, Prince, Dumini, Stain, Intini, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they just... They got to number one in the world in, in all formats. You know, they didn't win a World Cup, admittedly, but they still had the mace for the Test Championship. And that's why we were in demand around the world because teams, when we want to knock South Africa off the top of their pedestal, now that we sit five, six in the in the rankings, you know, it's not as attractive to have a Test Series against South Africa or a one-day Series against South Africa because they're not winning anything. And they want, people want to see superstars. They want to see world champions. And that's probably why South Africa's fallen off the bus in that regard. If we look in, into our crystal ball, um, do we need to change the structures perhaps right from school to club to varsity to provincial cricket to get ourselves back to where we were 30 years ago 20 years ago even 10 years ago Louis don't get me started one you know (laughs) that's the idea of this Brett the short answer answer is yes I mean I heard a story and and, and it it hasn't been confirmed to me but I heard that in in, in junior levels of cricket you you can't be an all-rounder you have to either bat or bowl if you bat in the top four you can't bowl if you take the new ball you can't bat in the top six South Africa was brought up in, in, in our international back and readmission with all our all-rounders, the Macmillans, the Cullis, the Pollocks, the Klusners, all-rounders, uh, Nicky Boyer, and all-rounders were our lifeblood. Yeah. If we're trying to take all-rounders out of our game at a junior level, that's a mistake for starters. Then you mentioned club cricket. That's social these days. Club cricket virtually, I was going to say, it has no meaning because under the current system, so when, when you're talking about the provincial guys and they franchise contracted, if a guy gets left out of an 11 and he goes to play somewhere else. Now, in the past, he'd go and play in the provincial side or the B side, as perhaps it was in years to gone by, which was still first-class cricket, still pretty strong. And he could get back into form there before he went up to franchise. Now he's got nowhere to go. He goes down into play club cricket, which is on played on poor wickets in bad conditions. And, you know, the average age of club sides now is probably in the early 20s. You've got no experience that you're learning from. So that gap is so vast. So we're just making the gaps between school and academy, academy and franchise, franchise and national level. Those gaps are widening all the time. So it's tougher and tougher to produce hardened players. Not actually talented players, because, you know, there's still plenty of talent going around in South Africa. Don't get me wrong there. When they get into franchise level, they're basically the highest level of cricket they've played is schoolboy one-day cricket and, and school weeks because they haven't had anything else in between. And that's where the system, you know, when we, we, we dumbed down the system and said, well, let's have all these provincial sides again and take away the six franchises to give more opportunity. Yes, for that reason, give more opportunity to players and have more people earning money out of cricket. That's fine. But you knew you were going to dumb down your standard because instead of having six highly competitive sides playing at a top level. You've now got eight in the first division and a second division that, frankly, it's a feeder system, but but we, we recycle players. Players, for example, the Knights side that got relegated. Why did those players not go and stay in the Knights? No, because they want to stay in first division. So Reynard Fontondo, Miguel Pretorius, they're all playing for Northwest. Down in the Warriors, you've got Patrick Kruger, Neelan van Heerden. So the Knights has been denuded. They've almost got to start again. For players that they developed, yes, they weren't good enough to stay up, but those players were developed by the Knights and now they're playing everywhere else just to retain their first division standard. So, phew, I mean, I'm on a roll, but it's, 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 it's like just, it, it, it becomes so frustrating when we see the standards just dropping and seemingly accepted that that's the way we're going to go just because we want to give opportunity. It's like saying, let's play for fun. Let's not play to win. I mean, please, man. Everybody always plays a game to try and win the game. Absolutely. So you watch a lot of 
franchise cricket. I can't call it B-side cricket, but I mean, you watch a lot of franchise cricket, not necessarily the names and the and the, the people that most of us would recognize because, again, it's not necessarily on television, particularly the, the four-day game. How healthy or not is our franchise cricket? It's adequate. I wouldn't say it's healthy. I mean, the standard from, say, five or six years ago is, is definitely weaker. In, in top sides, when you used to have maybe six quality batsmen, you know, if you knocked over four quickly, you still had two really good ones coming in and they could both make 100 batting at five and six. Now that those sides are, are thinner. So you might have two or three players who you go, well, there's a century maker on that side. But the rest are, well, you know, they can do a job. Similarly, bowling, if you've got a four-pronged seam attack in the past, you'd have, you know, really four top quality seamers that there was, it was unrelenting. You, you felt... Any bowler could, could knock the batter over. Now, if you see off the new ball, you might have two change bowlers that are pretty average, that, that a player worth his salt can score off and then wait for the when the new ball guys come back, they just see them off again. And so there's these holes in the system. You don't, you're not getting full-on pressure, high-powered cricket all the time at domestic level, which you get at international level. When you walk into a national side, all five bowlers or six bowlers, how many that they've picked, are top quality. So any one of them can knock you over. So you can't just... Say, well, I'll do and see what, as you expect at international level, and you're not seeing that at domestic level. One of the subjects of what you just mentioned earlier is somebody like Donovan Ferreira. I mean, Easton's mm. pretty much kicked him by the wayside. <laughs> Due to a stroke of luck, he got into the Titan side, and then a multimillionaire, five and a half million for the Betway T20, all of a sudden a call up into the national side. He, along with I'm sure many others, could have been lost to the system. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, you can go through whatever the system is. I think there's always players who somehow get lost in the system, whether where they're from, what school they went to, where they played. And but you're right about Ferreira. I mean, his is a, is a like who wrote that script that that he came from being a salesman to being a multimillionaire cricketer, wanted in all the, the T20 leagues in the world. But he's a fearless player. His brand of cricket might have been lost, or the way he played might have been lost on what was required in his system at the time. But he's he's revolutionised the way we should approach things in, in T20 cricket in South Africa, and even the shorter version of T10 does come here. And you know, Donovan Ferreira is, is a is a wonderful success story to the the, the T20 game. We might berate it in for many other things, but he is a, certainly a success story when it comes to T20 cricket. Right. Let's turn our attention out to matters that you and I have shed many tears over many years. <laughs> a Cricket World Cup from 92 yeah. with readmission. We won't discuss what you mentioned, 99. Cried then. Then in Kingsmead when we got the piece of paper wrong. We just mm. don't seem to get it right. Are we going into a World Cup without any expectations? And perhaps this is the time that we maybe will bring the trophy home. Yeah, I think from a South African perspective, every time we go to a World Cup, perhaps save the last one in the UK, we go in there as hot pot favourites. Um, you know, we, we've got we would top of the one day rankings. This time we snuck in. We just we 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 almost had to qualify, but beating England and then the Netherlands might mean we we snuck in and we didn't have to qualify, which I would have hated to have to go there to, to Zimbabwe and qualify. That you, you know, as we saw with the West Indies, anything can happen. So we go into this World Cup. The team probably has expectations, and that's good. You know, I, I think the fact that they came back from two zip down to Australia, even in our home conditions, and won. That shows something about their character. 
But I don't think the rest of the world, when you start talking about who's going to win the World Cup, I don't think South Africa is mentioned as often in, in dispatches as years past. So that's good for South Africa to go in a little bit under the radar. Can they win it? I think the start is important. I mean, we play Sri Lanka, then we play Afghanistan, and then we play Australia. Australia, we know we can beat. We've just beaten. The other two sides in, in subcontinental conditions, depending on the pitches we get, it might be a bit tougher, but you'd expect to. And if we get off to a good start, then I think confidence grows, groundswell of belief grows, and we can become a little bit more consistent. I think this side, that may be its downfall, is its inconsistency. You know, I mean, the first two ODIs against Australia, South Africa bowled dreadfully. And yeah. it improved as the, as the tournament went on, particularly from the spin department, but it still wasn't great. They need to be at the top of their game if they are going to win a World Cup. But I think what may count against them is, is, is you need to be consistent. You can't just win one game here, win, lose one, win one, and still hope to win a World Cup. You've probably got very few losses under, under your belt that are possible if you want to get through to the knockout stages and then go on to the tournament. Can they win it? Yeah, they can. But um, they're not going there with pressure, which probably helps them. But uh, it's how much they believe and how consistent they can be throughout the course of those six weeks because it's a long trip over there and what surfaces they get you know the stories are that if you play India you're going to get a raging turner but the rest you might get flat wickets and you might even get the odd green one which would suit South Africa and what as you've mentioned is mm. the good start they have to get off to is because mm. come the back of the tournament yeah they've got New Zealand yeah. <laughs> India Pakistan I mean not the kind of size because knowing Pakistan, they'll be hanging on by a thread come the last couple yeah. of matches. Um, yeah. And then New Zealand seemed to be a bogey side for us and, and playing India in India. Although I guess almost everybody, bar maybe one or two, have played in India, which again must be an advantage. Yeah, look. I don't think conditions will be unfamiliar to us. And, and from whether guys going there from individual leagues playing in the RPL or whether they've toured there, you know, I think most of them have had experience, particularly our batting is, is, is very experienced. Um, so that won't be a shock to them, whatever conditions they get dished up. But your point about who we play at the business end, you almost want to feel you roped and tied the knockout stages of the tournament by the time you, you get to play those three. Yeah. Um, New Zealand, as you say, I mean, they have box above their weight in every World Cup. It's, it's, it's remarkable. Even when, I mean, if Tim Southey's not fit because of his operation to his finger, you know, they lose key players. Can Kane Williamson, is he going to be right? You know, you just you just go, they get denuded, but somehow they tactically are so astute. And, and, and the way they play, they play within their limitations, but they roll over sides that are far superior on paper when it comes to a World Cup, but they do the business in a World Cup. And, I, I, you know, as you say, South Africa have got a terrible record against them in, in the business end of competition. So I wouldn't want to be having to beat New Zealand in order to qualify for the playoffs, you know, in, 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 at that stage of the competition. And a big blow for us, of course, now Heinrich Nocker. I mean, yes, poor huge, guys missed huge. out last time and this time. It's massive. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it, it's huge because as talented as Gerald Kutsia is, I mean, you would have watched him bowl in those five ODIs. He's raw. He runs in and tries to bowl quickly, but his control is not what Anrik Nokia's is. And what Anrik Nokia brings to you is in those middle overs, they can come back for a spell, bowl at 150, knock her in, batter out, get new men in. Now, I'm not sure whether Gerald Kutsia is equipped for that. That's why, in a way, for me, Louis, I'd almost prefer if we did play on dry turning wickets throughout, because I think our two spinners are, are really good. I think Keshav, is, is, it's great to see him back bowling well after his terrible injury. And I think Tabraz Shamsi is confident again. I think he went through a huge trough, but he bowled well against Australia and played well. Then if you couple that with Rabada and Gidi and Janssen, I think you've got a decent attack and throw in the 
if it's turning the offspin of Markram. Because our batting is going to be our strength in this World Cup. I, I think we, we should be able to put scores on the board with that top six, which is as, as good as anything around. Which you know, So the bowling, if the batting takes the pressure off the bowling and you can pick the two spinners, I think we can control the game a lot better. So almost a qualification situation in Zimbabwe because of a Australia trip that didn't happen because mm. of a T20 mm. competition that we had here in South Africa. So I guess the disappointment of nearly having to go and qualify for a World Cup and not playing Australia, has it balanced out by the success of the Betway T20 that we had last year and coming up again in a couple of months' time? <laughs> That's a tough one because I was overjoyed with the success of, of the of the SA20, the Betway SA20, because it just got people back into grounds and, and cricket, you know, uppermost on the back pages again. I still, I, I hurt when it impacts on our, our national side. So, like, South Africa's test side going to New Zealand is going to be a second string team because yeah. all those contracted players have got to play in the Betway. I don't think that should happen, but that's a story for another day because, you know, whatever side Shukri Conrad takes over there, he's got to try and win it. Still part of the test championship. We can't make excuses, but somehow I would have liked to find a balance of a tour not planned inside the, the SA20 so that, you know, the best players can play for South Africa and the best players can play in South Africa's flagship T20 competition. So the names that we could expect coming up for this competition, and I think the, the innovation of bringing in these South African rookies into it, I think, is massive going forward. Yeah, I'm just curious as to how much expectation it creates amongst these rookies. And I saw a list of 80, and you can effectively pick six. So some of these young lads that are thinking, oh, I'm going to get an SA20 contract, you know, I think think there's there's only – I think they're probably going to go for guys in the rookie contracts of of that 22 age group. There might be one or two – special schoolboys that, that, that who just played in the S under 19 who might sneak through. But I think you're going to find the 22-year-olds the, the, the who've had a little bit of first-class experience might be preferred by, by the team owners to someone who's as raw as can be. So we talk about a competition with an awful lot of money, but when you divide it by the exchange rate, it's I mean, it sounds like a fortune to us, 4 million, 5 million, 10 million. But when you really think about it and you divide it by 20 compared to what these guys are earning in the Premier League in India and the Caribbean and so on, yet it seems as though there are players from around the world that are interested to come and play here, which is fantastic for our game. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's 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 still decent money, but I think what it is is it's decent cricket, Louis. So these guys want to still keep their names in the hat for it's it's a stepping stone. If you play well in the SA Twenty, you could get snapped up by one of the franchise owners. I mean, they're, they're all uh, RPL franchise owners. So you play well in South Africa in that competition, it it doesn't do your chances of of playing in the RPL any harm at all if if you're not already in it. You know, so guys get these opportunities in South Africa come here. They're good enough to play here. They're still fairly big names in T20 cricket around the world. So they put their hat in the ring, they get a gig here, play well, and then they just it snowballs and they can go and play in either the Caribbean or they go and play in um, RPL, which is obviously where everybody who plays T20 cricket wants to be. Um, one thing that disappointed me, and I think it's a fantastic competition, don't get me wrong, but the one thing that's disappointed me is that we don't have a South African-owned franchise. Wow. 
come up with the money. And I think a South African team might have, a South African owner might have bought a team. But I think the numbers they were talking about by in the IPL, if you get an association with the IPL, you, you don't want to sniff at that. You know, so I think that was big money being paid for team franchises. So it was always likely it was going to be offshore and, and always likely it was going to be Indian team owners. Were you surprised, like I was, at how quickly the South African public took to these teams and wore the shirts and screamed the names of the players out there and got so well behind it? I think it was promoted so well, Louis, so that before a ball was bowled, I mean, you'd had the auction captured a bit of the imagination. Then there was promotions everywhere, you know, whether it was on street corners, billboards, radio, television, there was telling you it's coming and it was telling you you were going to have so much fun. You couldn't not have fun. And then you identify with your, your city franchise or your region franchise. And I mean, the quality of the cricket was really good. The entertainment level was high. And it just rolled one into the other, double-headed days. It, it was like a carnival. And, and so people were crying out for that feeling of, of, of good, of happiness, of enjoyment. And, and once the cricket was good as well, and they, it, people were coming back from going to say, I had a lot of fun. It was all over social media. I, I wasn't surprised because I think the effort that went in and was put into it meant that they, the organizers deserved that reward. I keep scratching my head at the Graham Smith Cricket South Africa scenario. Here's a guy at Cricket South Africa tried to uh, send to the Wolves, and he's come back um, and pretty much shown them how to do their job. Well, in terms of him and his team, I mean, and it's not a massive team either. That's the other thing. I mean, there's a few specialists in there, whether it be lawyers or and, and Stephen Cook's involved with the players and David Brook from a, from a promotional perspective. And I think they've just been so focused and, and realized what needs to be done to promote the game of cricket. And, and, and you just say, I'd, I'd hate to say showed cricket South Africa how it could be done, but gee, use it as a template because it was actually special what they did with, with a small team, a small staff. I don't know the size of the budget they had. Maybe that's the, that's the other thing that they got to look at. Maybe they had an extensive budget. But whatever they did, they got it right and it put cricket back on the map. Finally, Brett, um, crystal ball, what do we need to do? Or let's say to tweak the few issues that we have to get us back to that level of cricket where the fans are coming in. I'm not talking about Betway. That's going to happen. To come in and watch franchise cricket, to come in and watch the CSA one-day games. And, of course, when our T20 competition, our franchise T20 competition gets underway, certain grounds still don't get people. I mean, how do we get them back? Louis, if, if the domestic competition doesn't mean anything to Cricket South Africa, then it's not going to mean anything to the public. So it's got to mean something to CSA. They, they've actually got to make it work. They've got to get out there and promote it. They've got to see that it's a product that's absolutely vital to the future of South African cricket. They can't just say, take it for granted and say, oh, nobody's ever going to come and watch. Oh, we're never going to get a sponsor. It's their responsibility to make sure you get a good sponsored tournament with good quality cricket, promote it to the public so that they want to come back again, whether they have to throw a few little extra bells and whistles at it. I'm, I'm not the, the, the fount of all knowledge in that regard because I'm still a believer that it's the cricket that sells. But at the moment, I think domestic cricket's completely taken for granted. It's just there, we play it, and we have to get it out of the way. It's the feeder system to your national side. If it's not strong and good and well-supported, how do you expect it to filter up to that national side? And until they take domestic cricket seriously, I don't think we're ever going to get a number one national cricket side again. Especially, Brett, when we've got the best facilities in the world. 
They are. I mean, the, 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 the test grounds are, are really good. Uh, regrettably, some of the, the, the outlying grounds or the, or the, let's say the, the smaller centers, again, it might be financial, it might be budgetary, but a lot of those stadia that were maybe got into some sort of pomp for the 2000, 2003 World Cup and then the T21 that followed thereafter, um, the maintenance has, has slipped, you know, so you, you, you start to see degradation of these stadia. And, and it, it concerns me that it's all about the, the amount of money that the, the Division Two friend franchises or even the smaller franchises that uh, at division one level how much funds they get to maintain their building i don't know how much that is but it is a little bit worrying to see that these wonderful facilities of which you speak louis and they are i mean we've still got top test stadia around the around the country but the cracks are just starting to show you know and i, I don't i don't want those cracks to widen i think we've got it the 2027 world cup is in south africa the 50 over world cup i yeah. think those stadia have got to be prime by that stage again whether they're getting money from the rcc which i expect they will to upgrade but that money is going to be vital to get Stadia back into an um, A-plus condition. And let's make sure that you and I chat before the 2027 Cricket World Cup. Brent, it's always a pleasure talking to you. If I'm still around. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. yeah, we will be. Thank you so much for yeah. your time. And we'll talk again soon. It's been a pleasure, Lee. Thanks. Sir. Thanks, Brent, from the boardroom to the locker room this evening. Just having a chat about South African cricket. And I guess you can hear from both Brett and my tone of voice, we love the game. That's really what it's all about. And we want everybody else to love the game as well. Until next time, be nice to each other. Bye for now.